Good afternoon, I'm Dennis Vittorian, and this is the 25th Hour, helping you remember everything that happened beyond the 24-7 news cycle. Now, in this week's news for the week of April 30th to June 5th, 2021. COVID rates are down throughout the city and state. The mayoral candidates had their second debate. Cuomo keeps deflecting. Biden is trying to sweeten the deal for the people to get shots. And Congress is figuring out its next steps after the January 6th commission bill was filibustered by Republicans. Now, onto the show. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, starting with de Blasio. COVID cases in the city have dropped to their lowest levels yet since the start of the pandemic as the rate of vaccinations increased. 8.4 million doses have been given in the city, de Blasio said, and cases are down 95% since January 1st, with a positive testing rate of 0.81%. The eight Democratic mayoral candidates had their second debate this week, which was more contentious this time around as everyone was in person. Adams and Yang went after each other hard, with Adams coming after Yang for not being in New York City during the pandemic and not voting in municipal elections, while Yang went after Adams for his few corruption investigations. We all know that you've been investigated for corruption everywhere you've gone. City, state, even Barack Obama's Department of Justice investigated you. You've achieved the rare trifecta of corruption investigations. Uh, You did not vote in municipal elections at all. Uh, I just don't know, how the hell do we have you become our mayor with this record like this? How do you govern a diverse city like this? I just can't get it. Stringer took the opportunity to say both of them shouldn't be mayor, although they're frontrunners. With progressives figuring out who to flock to after Stringer's sexual assault accusation and Morales' campaign imploding due to staff calls for unionization, former de Blasio counsel Maya Wiley tried picking up the mantle, although she was attacked for being a rubber stamp for the mayor when she served on the Civilian Complaint Review Board. The candidates largely debated the big themes of crime reportedly increasing in the city, as well as the candidates' qualifications to be the next mayor. Morales has been scrambling to save her campaign after her campaign team staged a work stoppage due to claims of mistreatment, low pay, and sexual misconduct by one top staffer. One senior advisor even defected to the Wiley campaign. De Blasio still hasn't endorsed anyone in the Democratic primary, but by all accounts, he was reportedly not impressed by any of the candidates, saying that the candidates are uninspiring with ideas his administration was already working on, and some lacking knowledge of how city government even works. Yang was chased away by protesters this week. It happened after the second mayoral debate, with Yang arriving at Park Slope in Brooklyn on his way to the YMCA. Protesters from the New York Communities for Change organization shouted Yang down and made him get a move on. Separately responding to how Yang would have governed the city, he said that he would model his style on Bloomberg. Former Sanitation Commissioner Catherine Garcia, who's enjoying endorsements from the New York Times and Daily News, said that she's unaware of complaints from 13 former sanitation workers since 2017 of unequal pay. Garcia even went so far as to say that there were no complaints of equal pay in her office, despite the filing showing up at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission as late as this February. Following through on their endorsement for Comptroller Scott Stringer, the UFT Labor Union told city teachers not to rank either Yang or Adams on their ranked choice ballots, representing a shift in strategy on how groups are going to advocate for their candidates. With ranked choice voting, there's an opportunity for someone who isn't in first place to eventually receive a majority of votes if no one gets more than 50% in the first round. A vaccine program giving people shots from inside schools this starts this week in the Bronx and will expand to the other boroughs over the next few weeks, de Blasio said. An analysis released by the Advocates for Children of New York group found that incidents involving police and emotionally distressed children have increased in city public schools over the years, as well as emphasizing a racial divide from those incidents. More than a quarter of the episodes involve black boys, although they make up 13% of the school population, and 20% involve black girls, although they make up 12% of the school population. 92% of incidents involving handcuffs included black or Latino students. The MTA was penetrated by Chinese hackers in April, according to the agency. The hackers didn't get into transit control infrastructure, but could have access to computer systems through backdoor programs. An MTA Inspector General report found that a lack of inspection oversight on outdoor elevated subway tracks was a substantial reason why debris started flying down to the streets below. Seven inspectors were suspended without pay. 
The MTA also put criminals on blast, saying that 70% of stations now have security cameras, up from 60% in February, with the mission to equip all 472 stations with cameras by the end of the year. The Bronx DA's office is struggling with a high number of cases, high turnover of prosecutors, and low pay, according to an email exchange between the Bronx DA recruitment coordinator and the Office of Prosecutors, asking if the prosecutors were willing to assist the specialized crimes units with the chief of the trial division, Teresa Gottlieb, pointing out a general shortage of ADAs in the trial division. Bronx DA Darcel Clark didn't respond to the Gothamist report, but she has said before that a big issue with keeping prosecutors is high pay elsewhere. Over at the city council, the Orthodox Jewish candidate looking to acquire the South Brooklyn City Council seat vacated by Heim Deutsch, Heshi Tischler, may have thought he was out of hot water once he pled guilty to inciting a riot against a Jewish reporter during anti-mass protests. But the Daily News reported that now Tischler is the subject of a probe concerning mortgage fraud. Tischler allegedly took out a $650,000 mortgage on his sister's home, despite him not owning it. Meanwhile, a different council candidate, William Rivera, running for office in the Bronx to replace Ruben Diaz Sr., has been hit with allegations of misusing community board funds when he was a member. Neighborhood leaders filed a complaint against Rivera four years ago, saying that he moved thousands of dollars from a fundraising event meant for the community board to a police nonprofit Rivera led. Rivera called these, quote, unsubstantiated allegations. Over at the Cuomo administration, in the first four hours since the state's new rental assistance program launched, over 7,000 New Yorkers applied for the state to help them pay their back rent. Earlier versions of the rent program were criticized for leaving out a huge amount of those in need because unemployment assistance was included in income qualifications. The governor said the state has hit a new low in positive COVID infections with the state's seven-day average at 0.67%, the lowest since the pandemic began. New York State health officials announced that they plan on getting rid of indoor masks for students and adults across all schools and camps starting Monday statewide, regardless of whether or not they were vaccinated, but they're waiting for the CDC's word on letting them do so. Cuomo has a $2.5 million contract for legal services with the law firm Morvillo Abramowitz, which was approved on April 27th, and that taxpayers will be on the hook for, connected to defending Cuomo from his nursing home scandal, which listeners may recall was about Cuomo lying about the true nursing home death toll from the pandemic. Governor, have you used any money from your campaign, or do you plan on using any money from your campaign to pay for any of the legal expenses related to the investigations that uh, they are facing right now? The uh, state, uh, the way it works is the executive chamber has retained the council, uh, and uh, that is a state expense. It has been in every investigation. So that's where we are now. There aren't any uh, attorneys that you're paying yourself from your personal funds or through campaign money? Not at this time. The governor is carrying on his campaigning schedule like nothing's wrong, as showcased by a $10,000 a plate fundraiser this week and an almost $17 million war chest. Cuomo has also refused to publicly release records concerning his COVID leadership book, citing a law that, that protects active police investigations and another that keeps ethics panel records secret. The records being sought included time records for his staff, as there are allegations the governor used his staff during their official capacity to draft the edit portions of his book. Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin, who was the first Republican to announce his candidacy for governor going after Cuomo, said that time is of the essence. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani's son Andrew, who also announced his candidacy for the Republican nomination for governor, has been seen campaigning in person without a mask, despite him being not vaccinated. The owner of the bakery where Giuliani made the unmasked campaign stop in Schenectady, Maria Papa, said her head proceeded to explode once she found out from a hostess of Giuliani's visit. Over at the state legislature, the state Senate was busy this week. First on the list of bills moving forward in the chamber, a bill protecting the files of public employees moved forward closer to a vote after the chamber gave unanimous consent for it. 
The bill would prohibit releasing a worker's file in retaliation for filing workplace harassment, discrimination, or other whistleblower claims, and was introduced days after it was reported Cuomo's office was circulating the file of one of his accusers, Lindsey Boylan, who is running for Manhattan Borough President now. The state Senate passed the gun control package this week, including an effort to hold gun manufacturers liable if their weapons were used in mass shootings. Democrats in the state Senate also passed a bill that would go after construction contractors to steal the wages of their subcontractors. The bill was already passed by the Assembly and heads to Cuomo. The state Senate also passed the Adult Survivors Act this week, opening up a year-long look-back period to allow adult survivors of sexual abuse to sue their abusers and culpable institutions regardless of the statute of limitations. Since the Child Victims Act was passed, which gave children victims of sexual abuse the same opportunity to sue their abusers despite any statute of limitations, 6,000 claims were filed. The bill is still stalled in the Assembly's Judiciary Committee, and Speaker Hastie said he's in talks with members to work out kinks in the bill. Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie and Judiciary Committee Chairman Charles Levine both received letters from a group of former legislative staffers formed against sexual harassment, accusing them of dragging their feet on Cuomo's impeachment and passing a law outlawing sexual harassment. The Assembly and Senate did finally work together to send another bill to Cuomo's desk related to MTA data transparency, mandating that the transportation agency publish data online. The MTA Open Data Act makes the agency post all the statistical and factual information it has. Cuomo's office said they're reviewing the bill. A bill that seeks to survey how schools are teaching about the Holocaust in the backdrop of rising anti-Semitic attacks has advanced in the Assembly after it cleared the Ways and Means Committee. Over at the State Judiciary, once Cuomo finally submitted his list of judicial nominations to the Court of Appeals to replace two prior judges, Progressive launched an effort to block the nomination of one of Cuomo's picks, in particular Nassau County DA Madeline Singas. Progressive cites Singas' opposition to bail-in discovery reform despite her supporting the measures in 2020, and that Singas has never been a judge before. Singas' allies reject the claims. The First Department Appellate Division ruled that the city can move homeless men housed in the Upper West Side Lucerne Hotel downtown to Wall Street's Radisson Hotel, siding with residents who fought since last October demonstrating against the city's attempts to house the nearly 200 single homeless men. Three former residents of the Lucerne attempted to stop the lawsuit, but the appellate division said that since they're not even living there anymore, their requests were denied. Former Suffolk County Executive Steve Levy filed suit May 17th, attempting to block the DA's office from releasing an agreement contract between the former Suffolk County District Attorney Tom Spoda and Levy in 2011 that would have given away all $11 million of Levy's campaign money in finishing his political career, allegedly in exchange for Spoda not investigating Levy for his fundraising practices. The lawsuit was discovered this week and reported on by Newsday. The First Department Appellate Division ruled this week that collateral estoppel, the legal concept that someone can't be tried twice for the same offense, applies to a lawyer accused of malpractice when the underlying legal loss the plaintiffs blamed the lawyer for was originally dismissed. The Court of Appeals, the state's highest court, overturned a lower appellate court ruling this week, deciding that cops had a reasonable belief necessary to ensure safety when they searched the defendant's backpack a block away from a robbery victim's house, finding jewelry, gloves, and a screwdriver. Over at the Biden administration, COVID deaths and infections are continuing to decrease throughout the nation, but vaccinations have either slightly increased or plateaued as the nation hits a wall, reaching those who want to get their shots, coming up with various incentives to get people vaccinated. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said at the start of the week that the number of cases in the U.S. has fallen to 15,000 a day, the lowest level since the pandemic really hit the U.S. last March. Deaths at nursing homes, which were the main source of deaths from COVID for a while, amounted to 43% of deaths in the beginning, have dropped off to 31% now, with lower than 300 deaths a day a week opposed to 5,000 a week in the beginning. The president called for a national month of action in order to spur Americans to continue getting vaccinated or getting a shot for the first time in order to achieve the goal for 70% of the population to at least get their first shot by July 4th. The national month of action includes incentives like free beer by private companies. America is headed into a summer dramatically different from last year's summer. A summer of freedom, a summer of joy, a summer of get-togethers and celebrations. An all-American summer that this country deserves after a long, long, dark winter that we've all endured. But what happens after the summer? The data could not be clear. For all the progress we're making as a country, if you are unvaccinated, 
you are still at risk of getting seriously ill or dying or spreading disease to others. That's why today we're announcing a month-long effort to pull all the stops, all the stops to free ourselves from this virus and get to 70 percent of adult Americans vaccinated. Biden has also announced a plan to share 25 million vaccines around the world, with most of the unused shots given to the global vaccination program COVAX, with the mission to give poor countries vaccines so they have a chance to catch up against the pandemic. Six million vaccines not given to COVAX are going to be split between Mexico, Canada, and South Korea. More reporting is coming to light about the U.S. government's newfound interest in what's called a lab leak theory, or the idea that COVID originated out of a leak from the Chinese Wuhan Institute of Virology. Biden last week ordered his intelligence agencies to make a renewed push to look into the theory and report back to him in 180 days, as the WHO report concluding COVID's origin to be most likely due to natural animal to human transmission has been called out to be not credible due to China's refusal to share data with the investigators. Trump blamed the pandemic on China and spread an early version of the lab leak theory, although it wasn't based on evidence and it was more about spreading the idea that China intentionally created a biological weapon. Nevertheless, government documents revealed that officials were hesitant to talk openly about the lab leak theory due to the U.S.'s own role in funding what's called gain-of-function research, which looks into viral origins. News organizations also got their hands on Dr. Fauci's emails from when the COVID pandemic started entering the U.S., with various sides spinning the emails to their agenda. Conservative outlets grasped onto Fauci's emails discouraging buying masks, citing their ineffectiveness in February of 2020, while liberal outlets point to a public official juggling to give out advice and console public health officials freaking out about the pandemic. Dr. Fauci this week called on China to release the medical records of three researchers from the Wuhan Institute of Virology that were hospitalized with flu-like symptoms in November 2019, as well as from minors who got sick after being bitten by bats in 2012 in an effort to explore further COVID's origins. Infrastructure talks continue as Biden meets with the Republican Senate negotiator Shelley Moore Capito, much to the frustration of progressive Democrats who don't hold high hopes for compromise. Biden's latest counter to Republicans is to keep Trump's 2017 tax cuts in place and come down to a $1 trillion offer. Biden also pitched creating a new 15% minimum corporation tax to make sure companies don't get away with paying zero in taxes and closed loopholes that corporations already capitalized from. The Republican proposal is based on money passed already under the COVID relief bill earlier this year that they say hasn't been used in charging user fees, including raising the gas tax and charges on electric vehicle drivers, leading Democrats to say Republicans aren't pitching any substantive funding increase, while Biden keeps cutting away from his proposal to a trillion dollar middle ground. Meanwhile, Biden has started calling out moderate Senate Democrats like Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin for resisting calls to reform the filibuster so that Democrats can pass some sort of agenda beyond COVID. From police reform to vote reform, Manchin and Sinema have stood in the way of allowing bills passed by the House to reach the Senate floor, hoping out for compromise with Republicans. Biden's delegated Vice President Harris to not just deal with the immigration issue, but also meet with members of Congress to pass voting rights protections in light of Republican legislatures passing suppressive vote reform bills in response to Trump's lie that the 2020 election was rigged against them due to fraud, despite there not being any evidence of widespread fraud at all. The latest high-profile report of Republicans trying to pass voter suppression laws was in Texas, where Democrats walked out of a legislative chamber to prevent Republicans from having a quorum enough to ram a bill through. Harris is set to visit Guatemala and Mexico for her first overseas trip as vice president on June 6th to also deal with the immigration portfolio handed to her by the president. And speaking of immigration, after Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas painted a receding picture of the migrant surge issue in front of Congress a couple of weeks ago, preliminary enforcement data shows that the U.S. apprehended 111,000 single adult migrants at the southern border in April alone, the highest number in more than a decade. The Biden administration had formally ended the Remain in Mexico policy that was put in place by Trump that required asylum seekers to stay in Mexico while their cases went forward, a change from earlier policy that would allow asylum seekers to stay in the U.S. 
The policy was suspended in January, but this marks the formal end to it. DHS Secretary Mayorkas said the policy failed to reduce asylum backlogs. The national economy added 559,000 jobs last month, according to the latest figures, a welcome change after the vastly underwhelming addition of about 260,000 jobs in April that dumbfounded economists and predictors. The unemployment rate decreased to 5.8% as well, down from 6.1%. The hirings were led by the leisure and hospitality sectors, as well as with some moderate growth in education and health care. Today, we received great news for our economy and our recovery and for the American people. This morning, we learned that in May, our economy created 559,000 new jobs. Unemployment rate fell to 5.8 percent and wages went up for American workers. That means we have now created over 2 million jobs in total since I took office. More jobs than ever been created in the first four months of any presidency in modern history. This is progress, historic progress. Progress that's pulling our economy out of the worst crisis it's been in 100 years. Unemployment claims have fallen to 385,000 last week, marking the first time since the pandemic that the claims have fallen below 400,000 and marks the fifth straight week of a decrease in claims. The Census Bureau released an analysis finding that the relief spread around from the COVID relief law most recently passed significantly eased hardship, such as with paying for groceries and bills. Food shortages fell by 42% from January to April and reported an anxiety and depression dropped more than 20%. Biden officially suspended oil leases in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge until an Environmental Policy Act review was conducted. The leases were awarded under Trump's administration, which took a very broad view on greenlighting new oil drills despite environmental concerns. The FBI is said to be investigating USPS Postmaster Louis DeJoy over his campaign fundraising activity connected to a former business he ran, specifically that DeJoy promised to reimburse his employees for contributing to campaigns. DeJoy was a major Republican fundraiser before he was put in the role during Trump's tenure and has caused headaches for Democrats for DeJoy's strategy to make mail service costlier and slower in an effort to get the USPS into the green, according to DeJoy. Biden can't just get rid of DeJoy because DeJoy's job is controlled by the Board of Governors, which needs two more Democratic appointees to get rid of the Postmaster General. The president issued a national security memo this week telling his federal agencies to issue a report within 200 days on how to combat corruption rooted through foreign nations such as money laundering tied to real estate in the U.S. A long-awaited report by the Pentagon on UFO sightings over the years made this a point to encourage UFO enthusiasts, depending on how you spin it. The Pentagon is saying that they found no evidence UFOs spotted by the military were aliens specifically, but they maintain that they can't explain the things they've seen and recorded on video either. And while we're on the subject of outer space, NASA said that it's sending two spacecraft to look into Venus, the first time since 94 that the agency is undertaking such a look. One craft will look into whether any life exists in Venus's clouds, and the other to generally look into Venus's evolution as a scorching hot planet. The Biden administration released an official proclamation recognizing June as Pride Month, celebrating the LGBTQ plus community, reversing a Trump policy not to acknowledge the month officially. Biden is set to also meet Queen Elizabeth in the UK on June 13th, three days before his summit with Putin on the 16th. The troop withdrawal from Afghanistan is still underway with a deadline for a complete withdrawal by September 11th. The Pentagon said that it's also drawing up plans for a total evacuation in case the Taliban gets emboldened enough to start attacking the military. Talks in Vienna took a break before being resumed next week to get Iran and the U.S. back to the negotiating table for an Iranian nuclear deal. Hardliners in Iranian elections and Israeli meddling continue to be obstacles for Iran and the U.S. to come back to the table. Negotiators are trying to reach some sort of agreement by August, up originally from June. The U.S. sanctioned three Bulgarians and 64 entities for corruption, representing the biggest sanctions package empowered under the Magnitsky Act. The U.S. is also threatening a number of countries with 25% tariffs on $2 billion worth of goods for how they tax U.S. tech firms with digital taxes, calling it unfair. Austria, India, Italy, Spain, Turkey, and the U.K. were asked to change their digital taxes. Biden increased the list of blacklisted Chinese companies that Americans can invest in based on national security concerns, totaling 59 Chinese companies, including Aviation Industry Corporation and Huawei. Past presidents have complained of unfair trade practices by China as private businesses are under the whim of the Chinese Communist Party. 
Over in Congress and starting in the House, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi expressed four different possibilities now that Senate Republicans filibustered a January 6th commission looking into the insurrection that day, saying that either the Senate can vote again, the House can create a select committee, which would include Republican concessions agreed to under the bill, letting many different committees continue their investigations, or letting just one regular House committee take over all of the investigations. Embattled Florida Congressman Matt Gates now faces obstruction of justice charges related to an investigation into his friend Joel Greenberg, whom the FBI was probing for child sex trafficking charges. Greenberg worked out a cooperation agreement with federal prosecutors and is believed that Gates is implicated as evidence points to the congressman taking a 17-year-old girl around with him across state lines for sex. Gates allegedly called a witness in the investigation, sparking obstruction claims, and Gates denies child sex trafficking and the obstruction charges. Former Trump White House counsel Don McGahn finally testified behind closed doors to a House committee after years after House Democrats tried suing to compel McGahn's testimony. Democrats have been trying to ask McGahn questions related to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia's involvement in election meddling in the 2016 presidential election and subsequent attempts by Trump to obstruct Mueller's probe including asking Don McGahn to fire Mueller. Over in the Senate, just as New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand was so close to reaching a filibuster-approved support for her bill to reform how sexual assault cases are handled in the military, Democrat Jack Reed and Republican James Inhofe, who sit on the Senate Armed Services Committee, opposed the bill and are pumping the brakes on the bill's passage out of committee. A week after the Senate Republicans filibustered the creation of a committee to examine the January 6th insurrection incited by former President Trump, two Senate committees, namely the Rules and Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committees, are issuing reports about what went wrong that day but won't look into Trump's role in the episode. Minority Leader McConnell's stated opposition is apparently based on the grounds of what else can be learned from forming a commission where other committees have examined the insurrection and heard testimony. Biden's press secretary, Jem Psaki, told reporters that Biden opposes a commission created by his own White House, saying that Congress has to be the one to look into the insurrection. Elizabeth McDonough, the Senate parliamentarian who oversees the rules of the chamber, ruled that Democrats can only use budget reconciliation one more time this year, not two, as a way to get a simple majority in a major legislative bill. Budget reconciliation allows for a simple majority vote as opposed to a filibuster-proof supermajority as long as the bill has something to do with the government budget like taxes or appropriations. Over at the federal judiciary, the Supreme Court ruled this week on a case about whether a police officer in Georgia broke the law by accessing a government database to find out if a stripper was an undercover cop. Justice Barrett wrote in the 6-3 decision that the criminal statute prohibiting unauthorized use of government property is unconstitutional because criminalizing unintended use of government property could be overbroad, whereas the minority pointed out that insider fraudsters can use the government property to commit crimes just like the Georgia officer in the reviewed case. The high court declined to hear an appeal by Johnson & Johnson to look into a verdict charging $2 billion for the pharmaceutical company's role in marketing a talcum powder that is linked to spreading ovarian cancer in women. Johnson & Johnson claimed that they didn't get a fair jury trial. SCOTUS also unanimously overturned the Ninth Circuit's decision that an asylum seeker's testimony should be held as credible if there aren't any prior adverse credibility findings. Justice Gorsuch, writing for the court, said that the lower court's ruling interferes with Congress's intent to give immigration judges the ultimate authority to make determinations about credibility. In a case regarding whether the Native American tribal police can detain non-tribal individuals, the Supreme Court overturned another Ninth Circuit decision that limited the authority of tribal police to be able to detain non-Native Americans on tribal land. A three-judge panel from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals removed Northern District Judge David Hurd from a criminal case, citing Hurd's attempts to compel the government to lower a criminal sentence because of a cooperation agreement. And the D.C. Circuit Court overturned the trial court judge's decision to overturn the CDC's ban on evictions, denying an attempt by landlords to resume kicking people out of their houses for not paying rent. The eviction moratorium stays in place for now. It was originally put in place by the CDC, citing the public health emergency that would result from kicking people out of their apartments or houses if they couldn't pay rent anymore in the midst of a pandemic. In national news, this week marked the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, where a white mob killed up to 300 black residents in a neighborhood known as Black Wall Street in the 1920s. Biden visited the neighborhood, becoming the first president to mark the occasion, although he didn't back calls for reparations for the families of the victims, as some hoped. 
A hack on a meat plant from Brazilian producers JBS, which provides almost a fifth of the U.S.'s meat supply, created meat shortages around the country as the company recovered from the ransomware attack. Signs point to another criminal hacking group based out of Russia weeks after oil pipeline company Colonial was hampered by a Russian criminal hacker group. Biden plans to bring up Russia's tacit support for allowing criminal hackers to work out of Russia during their June 16th summit meeting, and FBI Director Christopher Wray said his agency is investigating 100 different types of ransomware attacks. Less than a month after starting his own blog to get his word out, Trump shut down his website called From the Desk of Donald J. Trump after the former president reportedly got pissed about how many people were making fun of the site. Trump's spokesman said that the former president is still planning on creating his own social media platform. Speaking of social media, Facebook has decided to end its hate speech exception for politicians, meaning that public officials that spout hate speech will be judged just like any other Facebook user and not based on the newsworthiness of their speech and position. Facebook also decided to answer the question posed by its own oversight board in relation to how long Trump should be kept off the platform, determining that Trump should be kept off for two more years. Trump was originally banned from the platform due to his language on the day of the January 6th insurrection he incited, wherein he professed support for those breaking into the Capitol building. The oversight board ruled that Facebook's banning of Trump was okay, but what wasn't okay was indefinitely detaining him, and so Facebook had to answer the question of how long it would last. Prominent lawyer F. Lee Bailey died this week at the age of 87 from several medical issues, according to members of his family. Bailey was known for representing O.J. Simpson and the Boston Strangler before being disbarred in two states. A study published in the New England Journal of Medicine and funded by AstraZeneca found that AstraZeneca's pill Limparza reduced aggressive breast cancer recurrence and death in women by 42%, marking a potential watershed moment in fighting the disease. And that's it for this week's show of the 25th Hour, helping you stay on top of the 24-7 news cycle. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, share us with your friends, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can email your tips and suggestions at the 25th Hour News at gmail.com and become a patron today for as low as $2 a month to support the show at patreon.com slash the 25th Hour News. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to also tune in to our interview with Manhattan District Attorney candidate Alvin Bragg that's being released on the same day that this episode airs. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. 